the very concept of the institution of higher learning is about to be broken. This is gym teacher. You have no idea what he's capable of. Enough is enough. It's time for a collected activity of all of us who are engaged in resistance in some form or other to learn how to collaborate together, to end our isolation, to end our particulars, and to become part of that universal movement that says... The revolution will be broadcast. Intellectuals are not a, a cherished aristocracy within society. They, they are sort of isolated within their own ivory tower. Now I realize that you must stick close together because you share a common goddamn backbone, but I want to see some movement. You have to have a movement, please. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. The Fundamental Movement. Welcome to The Fundamental Movement, the uh, podcast where we talk everything physical education. It's no whole bards uh, discussion uh, about everything physical education. Today with me on the panel, I have uh, from thephysicaleducator.com and the city in the world that's predominant religion is hockey, uh, Joey Fife. Believe it or not, that is true. Joey originated at McGill University uh, from Singapore via... Tasmania and Munchkin land in the wonderful world of Oz. We have Nathan Horn uh, in the state of Kentucky, uh, the country that just released research showing that basketball challenges the sexuality of women. We have Aaron Beatley and the only man of the panel who can legitimately put unemployed on his tax return, Andy Vasily from Nanjing, China. So today we have uh, Andy is having problems with his audio. Uh, any type of the chat box. <laughs> no, he's giving us. <laughs> All right, so today's conversation we're going to talk about preparing to be a physical education teacher and what it takes to teach this wonderful subject of ours. Um, following on from our last conversation, we, we determined that the members of the panel had had very diverse experiences in becoming a physical educator and how they became physical educators. So today we want to unpack that thinking a little bit further and talk about you know, what it takes to become a physical educator. So let's start with our first question. I'll throw it out to the panel members is um, who should be responsible for preparing people to become physical education teachers? I'll go, I guess. Um, I don't know. It's a really good question, Dean. I think like thinking about it, like ultimately you as an individual, I think at some point have to be responsible for your own development. Um, you have to be willing to be able to be developed, I guess, if you, if you have a, a very closed mindset towards, you know, wanting to improve yourself as a, as a teacher or as an individual, then I don't think anybody can help you. Um, so probably that's the first, the first step in it. Um, and then I guess it comes, I guess the first the first part would be probably university level and getting um, getting that first taste of, of what it might mean to be a teacher or a physical educator through university experience. And then, um, and then after that sort of having it be modeled by teachers who are um, established in the practice or that you look up to as, as sort of role models within, within the practice. So I think it's a multi-stage thing that, um, sort of comes from a variety of a variety of different people and at different times. But I think overriding is that you need to 
be open to to being developed in the first place because if you're not open to improvement then i guess you're not you're not setting yourself up to be to be able to do it i'm going to jump off that i think it's kind of what you said nathan i think it's a continuum of you really go back to it it could be your own physical education experiences in schools i know we talked about this a little bit last time but that's the first taste and oftentimes as a especially new teachers when you panic and don't know what to do you go back to how you were taught not as you were taught to teach but i think the this continuum of it starts with universities and then i think it takes effective mentoring I think if we don't have the effective mentoring and once you get through student teaching um, here in Kentucky, we have an internship program where their first year they get still get feedback from a essentially a cooperating teacher and university folks. But if you don't get that, you go from student teaching, which is a little bit of a Disney World type thing, and then you go into the real world and you have nobody to work with. And I think you have to go with the continuum of continuing to have someone to help you. But as as um, Nathan said, if it's if you don't have the desire to be better, you know, not a lot we can do for you. Hmm. It's a well, what do you what do you I mean, we we referred to the everyone referred to universities preparing um, uh, preparing teachers. I mean, Andy's made comment here. Um, I, I can't do the Stephen Hawking voice anymore, but, you know, he's the, the voice, the voiceless man. <laughs> He says to a lot of experienced schools, but yeah. So, in terms of he, he's saying that schools uh, have a have a large responsibility for funding professional learning of, of teachers. I suppose my question is: is do people who are out there teaching do you think that that universities are doing a good job? And this is a relatively new development in our history too. Universities preparing teachers it hasn't always been that way. You know, are universities doing uh, enough and are they doing a good job in preparing and maintaining good quality physical education teachers? I know from your own experiences or your own insight, what do you think? I think like um, that, you know, like I mentioned in the last episode, that probably although my university experience wasn't something that directly led me to to become the the physical educator that I am today. I think that there were parts of that experience that sort of like at least exposed me to different ideas that I didn't that I hadn't been exposed to before, or different um, pedagogies or, or ways of operating that you know, like maybe at the time when I was at university, they didn't really sort of strike a chord with the types of things I was interested in. But if I look back um, on sort of now, when, when things sort of crop up that I, that I see, I think, oh yeah, I remember that from, from university. So I don't know how much of that knowledge sort of was absorbed during my university time or how much of it was sort of like stored away somewhere there in the back. Um, and then I, I sort of like accessed it later, if that makes any sense. I don't know if I'm no, rambling well, here. Well, what about you, Joey? I mean, what would you say that your experiences in, uh, you're, you're, a, you're the most newly graduated teacher amongst us. Would you say that, that your, your experiences at university were the ones that set you up to be you know, the PE teacher you are? Or are there some other defining things that need to happen. You know, it's interesting because uh, the other day I was, um, I was hanging out with Lee Schaefer. Do you all know Lee Schaefer? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. Anyways, he, just a, he just took a position here at McGill and uh, we were hanging out. We were, we were just talking about the program and talking about Montreal and whatnot. And we started talking about like, like 
my experiences and everything going through the program and everything I thought, and I was re really reflecting on that the other day. You know, I like to think that I've learned a ton since graduating. And I like to think that I even learned more since graduating than I did during my undergrad. However, everything I learned during my undergrad was like, it was, it was the fundamentals. So I feel like if I, if I hadn't had that experience, if I hadn't had that experience from um, the group of professors I had, and you know, there, was, there was a whole variety of professors that I had. Some had teaching experience, some that didn't really have teaching experience. But if I hadn't had been given those like fundamental skills, I don't think I would have been the teacher that I am today. Um, because you need you need to know you need to know what basic like assessment is you need to know what basic evaluation is even though my idea of what good assessment or effective assessment and effective evaluation effective curriculum planning has greatly changed since then um, I really went into that program with no idea whatsoever what I was talking about so to to have been able to have learned that uh, in a structured manner and then be able to go out and find the real world and kind of adapt and and learn as I keep going through um, I definitely think that that was like like fundamental to to me being the type of teacher that I am today. I think uh, to, to piggyback on that, I think that's part of doing the teacher preparation, uh, quote unquote, right, is that we just uh, speaking from someone in a university, we just don't have the time um, to prepare you with everything you need. But we also don't have the you as well, students don't have the expertise to really pick up on things the way that you can pick up on things. For example, once somebody's a student, his student taught for three months, they can pick up on a lot of things differently than what they could have picked up on before they did that. And so there's a continuum. And I think part of doing teacher preparation right is sending home and drumming home the message that you're not finished when you graduate here. This is just the beginning of what we need what you need to get this going. We're just giving you the basics. We we use the cooking analogy, but we're basically teaching you how to boil water and, and chop an onion. And you can do a lot of different things with that, but we just want to give you the fundamentals. And then hopefully you, as Joey said, you will pick up on that and carry that through um, as you start student teaching. I'll tell you, so one of the most, I suppose one of the most frustrating things in the sort of last decade I've been working, pre-service teachers predominantly. I do a lot of professional development for ongoing teachers as well, but in the pre-service teacher space, right? So I'll refer to the literature on this. No matter what we teach you in four years in your teacher education program, right? no matter what we teach you, unless there is a, uh, a significant fundamental shift in your thinking, in other words, that challenges all your, your previous experiences in institutionalised education, which most people will have 13 years of it, what we teach you in four years will have very little effect on changing the way you teach. You're more likely than not to go back and teach PE the way you were taught it or the way you were coached it or some significant physical activity experience that got you into the profession in the first place. So that's the first thing. And I think what happens is I think these teacher placements that we do are quite the two-edged sword. I mean, we can work very hard to present the most up-to-date, empirically-driven research, the best evidence we have to say these are the things that, uh, that are likely to have the best effect in terms of teaching. And then these, our teachers can go out and do teaching placements or internships like uh, Aaron was talking about and have that all kicked in the guts. I don't, I don't know how many times I've, uh, I've run a, a physical education games pedagogy unit and my students will say to me, Dean, this is amazing. I, I really think this is the way I want to teach my PE. I've never experienced anything like this, but it's great. 
and then they'll go out into a school on the prac placement and the supervising teacher or their cooperating teacher will turn around and say, we don't do that at this school. This is not, this, this is all rubbish. That's all theory. This is how it works in the real world and don't even bother it. So it can be quite disheartening um, as, as a teacher educator that that's, that's sometimes the model that we're confronted with trying to overcome. And it becomes incredibly frustrating when you're trying to shift, uh, shift the thinking of, of teachers um, to a best evidence model when you have to overcome those barriers. Was that was that anyone's experience when yeah. they were actually out out on their prank? You know, you got told something uh, in your university training, and then you went out and did your placement. They go, "Oh, forget all that theory yes. rubbish, because this is how it works in the real world." Um, sorry, no, I was. I, that's exactly what happened. I remember my third year field placement. I was going in, and we we learned all about like the competencies based approach here in Quebec and everything, and the curriculum, and. I went in and I remember a teacher, I remember specifically saying like, hey, do you have a copy of the Quebec education plan? And he was like, yeah, it's by the door. And it was literally like holding the door open. And he was just like, like we don't, we don't use that when we're teaching here. Um, That's funny because a lot of people do that with, a lot of people do that with Aaron's textbook, Dynamic Physical Education. <laughs> it holds my door open. <laughs> but, uh, it's nice and heavy for that. Yeah. That's the reason we put so many pages in the there. The international version holds open those rotating doors, you know, into the container. It's fabulous. <laughs> Go, Joe. I'm standing on it right now. <laughs> Go, Joey. Um, <laughs> yeah, good work. No, that definitely does happen. And um, the fact, like, your cooperating teacher, really like, oh, no, that doesn't work. Oh, no, we don't do that. Or, oh, we're not interested in bringing that into our school. And it's really frustrating as a student because you're being told this is the way that it should be taught, this is the way you should do things, and you're going out and you're seeing these people who are doing things completely differently, um, like not following any of the models that you've learned, not using any of the best practices you've learned, but somehow getting by and, and running their phys ed program. And um, it takes it takes a lot of guts, like as a, as a student teacher, to be able to say, uh, no, like I want to be doing this because I know eventually this is what I want to be doing in my gym. Uh, to be able to say that to an experienced teacher, and I find like that's, Maybe a lot of teachers don't have, like maybe a lot of student teachers or pre-service teachers don't have that confidence. Um, or also maybe some pre-service teachers might be like, well, why am I going to bust my ass doing all these things that my university is telling me to do when I can just do a bare minimum, have a pretty good day, and run a phys ed program? What are your thoughts, Nate? That's something that I was going to suggest as well was that, um, you know, like when we're talking about these sort of like pre-service or like beginning teachers, we're talking about people who are, you know, in their early 20s and are in a stage of life that i don't know like how important is it to those to those people at you know 20 23 24 25 that they are you know like a fantastic model professional who's doing all the right things and is you know meeting all the requirements like how how important is that to to somebody of that age in their life as opposed to the other parts of their life that are that are more important like i often think in some ways you know like how is it, and maybe Dean and Aaron can speak to this, like the difference between you having somebody who's, you know, fresh out of high school into a um, pre-service program as opposed to somebody who's um, like a, a mature or more mature age student or coming in as a second um, profession, like does that affect in any way their ability to be able to take what they've learned 
um, at university and sort of expanded into into their practice? Absolutely, it does. It makes a world of difference. Um, for example, we have several right now that were military students that came back and there's just their perspective on everything. It's not just in PE, it's wherever they are across the campus. They have a different perspective. Um, and, and I think it's one that we've seen a huge impact is with um, if they've taught or worked in an after school program or done some coaching or have worked with kids because then they have a foundation. And when we say something, it makes a lot more sense. And we have some people that are green as a gourd and have never worked with students. And so there's a different perspective um, that they just don't quite get it yet. And related to kind of what Joey was talking about earlier, that's why we pick our student teaching placements very strategically. Um, our students own, we, we focus obviously on dynamic physical education and our students go to schools where they use dynamic, phys dynamic physical education, not because that's the only thing we want them to use. We want them to get that foundation and to see it. And then the cooperating teachers they work with use a variety of different resources to build on what we have as the foundation. So when they go out and we say, you know, try this activity, they try it and then they might see another activity and they try that as well. But there's that foundation that we've taught the same things. They go out to the schools and they say, oh, all that management stuff does work. And it kind of I don't know how to on the right term, but it almost builds a level of trust with the undergraduate students that what we're saying actually has some application when they see it and they're more apt to trust. And, and, and then we put them out with a good cooperating teacher that without that good cooperating teacher, we we can't do it. We can't do what we do. Um, so I spend a lot of time in schools building those relationships because I can tell them anything I want. But if they go there, then they're going to have could have what Joey talked about in a crappy experience. Then I've wasted my time. They've wasted their time. And, and it's for naught. Okay, so here's, this is an interesting sort of conundrum we're faced with teacher education preparation. And let me give you an analogy in, in the way other professions might do it. Um, think about what we do. We, we take these, we take, for the most part, we'll take kids that have had 13 years of institutionalised learning and put them in another institution for four years and then send them back out into an institution. Right? Uh, it's interesting what, what Aaron says is that it's, when you have uh, mature age students or people who have brought other life experiences, what sort of perspective they bring to the profession. But even above that, think about the model, the, the, the mentorship, which Aaron spoke about before, you know, when we, we mentor, uh, when we mentor pre-service teachers, a very dangerous two-edged model. Um, in, in Australia, for example, I can't, I can't speak to what it's like um, in Kentucky or other places, but there is such a shortage of places. Basically, if a teacher sticks their hand up and says, I will take, you know, an, an undergraduate teacher, they get one, right? And sometimes these people are first year outs, supervising other first year outs. And I'm not saying that they're potentially bad, but they're potentially not very experienced. Conversely, we'll send them out with someone that's been in the game 50 years. Well, they have, they'll tell you they've got 50 years teaching experience, but what they really have is one year's teaching experience they've repeated 50 times. Right, so they're stuck back in 1965, uh, trying to replicate that over and over and over again. Now I'm thinking, imagine if we did that in medicine, right? Imagine if we graduated doctors, and any doctor out there could supervise another doctor, and they could use whatever practices that they thought were the flavour of the month. And I think we do a lot of that in education. We don't let doctors out even to design or undertake different procedures unless they can show competence and capacity to 
the capacity to use evidence-based practice, right? You get that down first and show you can do that and bed that practice down well, and then we give you some capacity to be more innovative and some scope. We don't do that with teachers. We put them out there and say, you've got to do it all from scratch and you've got to be innovative and you've got to be uh, intellectual and you've got to be challenging and you've got to be up to date and all these other things. So I find that a, a particularly, uh, I find that a particularly difficult scenario to overcome. How, um, I guess, if I'm listening to this, like, you know, you're identifying that one of the issues may be that you've got these teachers who are supervising these um, beginning teachers who, you know, have 50 years of one year experience and, and stuff like that. How well do universities then in, in a sense, or pro university programs that are sending these pre-service teachers out, how well do they actually educate the, the sort of um, supervising teachers in terms of their responsibilities and what they expect of them? Or is it a case of just, here you go, here's a kid, look after him for six weeks and send him back to us and let us know you know, if they were okay or not. Like, does the, does the level of collaboration and, and education between the, the two institutions need to be tightened up to make sure that actually we're sending these kids out to places that, almost like Aaron said, uh, put them in a position where, like, everyone's going to succeed? Because if we're just sending kids out to schools with people who don't really know what they're doing or don't have any concept of what's expected of this student, then how can we expect anyone to to succeed, Joey? I also just wanted to add too, it's not easy for teachers to take on a student teacher. It's great when you get a great student teacher, but when you get a real stinker, it can be a lot of work. And teach, the, the relationship between the university and the cooperating teachers isn't always one that really benefits the cooperating teacher. Um, I remember once giving a workshop here at a, a public school board here in Montreal, and they made a big deal. It's like, oh, the head of technology came to your workshop and everything. Oh, so that's cool. And before I started talking, she stood up. She's like, I'd just like to say something. I thought she was going to say something about like phys ed teachers using tech exercise. I just want to let you know that um, because of constraints, all of the money that you received for your student teachers this year uh, is actually frozen. Uh, so you're not going to have access to that. And I just want to let you know today. Literally, everybody in that room had student teacher that they were planning on using to buy an iPad afterwards because I was about to show them all this cool stuff they can do with iPads. So teachers were outraged because they did all this work to be able to to get get this money because a lot of them they they enjoy getting a little bit of extra funds that they can use for their programs and they have to use it specifically for their programs. It doesn't go to their pocket or anything. And then they they get situations like that. So as much as a yes, it's a student teacher problem where um you know if a student teacher gets paid, paired up with a stinker cooperating teacher who's telling like oh no you don't have to worry you just take it easy that's a bad experience but for the teacher too it's no fun you're stuck with somebody and um i even think my my corker right now she was with two people who just did not take it seriously constantly had to like be on their case had to call the university all the time about them being unprofessional and everything and just have all kinds of issues so it's not always an easy relationship and it's it's not only just going in one way yeah i, I suppose there's some models out there that are, are starting to question this this paradigm. So I'll, I'll, I can tell you a little bit about what I've seen in some other more innovative teacher education programs, and Aaron might be able to jump in after this as well. So I, I'm seeing universities now wanting to be very targeted in the schools that they allow to supervise their students, right? So they actually develop a bit like the medical model where you set up teaching hospitals. Uh, is actually setting up or identifying schools that have particularly uh, good 
models of practice have particular, particularly strong ongoing professional learning relationships with their existing staff with the university, right? So they run the, the professional learning and, and cater to the needs of the existing staff. And part of the reciprocal relationship that fosters is we trust you to mentor and supervise and guide our pre-service teachers. There's another caveat on that, which I really like the idea of, and this be unpacked, picked a little, and it goes to Joey's point, is this fit to practice test, right? I'm not talking about a multiple choice test. It's really, it's really an intuition and it's those things that we don't necessarily capture in a lecture theatre or in a workshop. But what really a practising teacher is best positioned, if they've been well, well developed, to make a judgement. Can, is this student teacher fit to practise? And if they're not, what are the elements that they need to go back and work on? And what are some additional remedy teaching uh, interventions that we'd like to see? Would anyone want to comment on that kind of model? Go, Aaron. Yeah, I'm going to just talk a little bit how we do it here with, with respect to our students. And the first class they ever take, they're in the schools the first Friday of class. And I assign them a placement. They go to that placement. Um, we get out there. I get out there at least probably two or three times that semester. And that's their first class they've ever had. They have no clue what they're getting into. Um, then when they get to their elementary and methods classes, we send them out as a group. And they teach and they evaluate each other and they get tons of teaching experience and we strategically pick where that happens and we strategically pick where their student teaching happens um, it's not a random they get to pick it's i pick i'm the one that's in charge of it so i pick i know their personality i know you know what this kid takes everything too seriously and he's a lighten up he's a great teacher so i put him with a teacher that's pretty light and and, and can teach but he doesn't take everything so seriously and, and and again some of these are matches sometimes i miss it it, it doesn't work well but um as Joey said, it can be exhausting. And, and it's one of these things that we have. We try and as much as we can help students and build them up as we get there. So when they get out to the student teaching, they have taught a ton. It's not the first time they teach, they're ready to go. They get as much teaching as they can. And it's, again, it's all consistent with what they've been trained. And we also do professional development with the, the district. So we go out and our student teachers are there as well as the cooperating teachers, as well as, um, uh, the student teachers, the cooperating teachers, the teachers from the district, teachers from the surrounding areas, and we talk about these issues. And, and then we also have groups of teachers that we meet with. This is one of the requirements, we've done it, but this is one of the requirements of our accreditation is to have these feedback from the schools. One of the things they told us a little while back was when I first got here is that we didn't use enough technology. And I forget what they wanted us to use technology-wise. So we started trying to teach the students how to use it, and then they would go out and use it. Internet Explorer for you, right, Aaron? You yes, Internet Explorer, Explorer is what it was. It was uh, Apple IIe is what we had here in 2004. The, um, <laughs> teach, teach tennis the game of pole. Yes, right? yeah. and, and, and the, the Atari with the steering wheel. But we, <laughs> one of the, what we tried to convey to them is by the time we get this, they get out and teach, you didn't want that technology. I mean, it would be like us trying to now spend an, the next two years explaining to students how to use clickers. Well, guess what's going to happen in two years in schools? Clickers are going to be unheard of. Nobody's going to use them. And it's so it's, it's things like that, that we can get feedback on technology and things that they're using that are going to stick around strategies. Sometimes we've had games and they say, nope, doesn't work. Okay, we'll, we'll modify it. And do it. so I think there's a way to make it work. It just has to be done right. Otherwise, it becomes what Joey talked about. Oh. So I think I think 
well, I'm, I'm very conscious of time where we're going. So I think a, a great way to finish it up is to go around the panel. We've lost uh, Andy um, to the depths of the Chinese internet, but on that point, I can go around to the rest of the rest of the panel, and we can talk about uh, what what do we think? Uh, what are the, the roles that you want to see the universities and the teacher training institutions play, and vice versa? So, if I was to answer that question. What role would I want the schools and supervising teachers to play, and uh, what are some things they need to address? So I'll start with you, Nathan. What would you like to see? What space would you like to see the universities addressing in teacher preparation? Um, yeah, it's a really it's a really good question, and you know it's it's easy for us to sit. Here I ask and, a question. That's what I do. Right? Yeah, we, it's it's easy for us to sit here and talk about all the things that don't work with it or the the issues that we have with it or the the challenges that are, that people face it's actually it's quite difficult to then think about well how do we how do we go ahead and fix this um for me i think that there just needs to be maybe more and i, and I can only speak of my experience and and what i sort of have have seen in my sort of profession is i think there needs to be more communication between all the stakeholders between just between the um the universities and the supervising teachers in terms of like what as a student teacher what do if i'm the student teacher what do i need from the university and what do i need from the school that i'm going to to be able to help me and then the same question almost needs to be asked of the university well what this is what we expect of you um and then the same with the the supervising teaching you know like just so that everyone's on the same page because i think if i'm listening to what everyone's saying and summarizing it it seems that Often the issues that people face are because they're not not everyone's on the same page. Joey, yeah, I I, I definitely agree with what Nathan was saying there about getting everybody on the same page, um, getting everybody involved in the process as well. I really think that uh, one thing that's really important that would have been great for for me as an undergrad would have been just to have more uh, current practitioners being involved in my my pre service experience, have getting to uh, interact more with teachers and granted, okay, like. Yes, I, I I had four field placements. I had I got to meet uh, four different teachers and work with them for a couple of weeks and stuff like that. Uh, but really, having teachers come in and kind of give their experience, give their opinions, um, so that you don't leave university thinking like, well, no, this is the only way you can do things. This is the, this is how things have to be done because this is how it's taught at school. But to get a better understanding, it's like, okay, well, I can take a little bit of what I like from here, a little bit of what I like from there, and kind of pair it all together. Because when you when you meet with these practitioners, you realize that. That's what good teachers do. They take the best, the best practices they find from all these different areas, and they combine them. So, just having that stronger relationship or that stronger involvement, and um, just to quickly add to that, just uh, having having those those teachers um, making the, the the cooperating teachers realize that they're a part of it too, that they're gaining from it as well. That's part of their professional development as well. Aaron, I, I'm gonna, I guess I'm gonna jump on the on the university folks because I think the the only way any of these things happen that Nathan and Joey talked about is if university folks get out of their office and go to the, go to the schools, and it, it, if you don't build those relationships, it'll never happen. And I think we have to do that. We have. I mean, I, I hit the ground running here, and I'm still working on it. It's, it's a work in progress. Get some, lose some, so go to administration. But I think if we don't get out and build these relationships, because it's all they all come through us. And if we don't build those relationships, all the things we're talking about here will not happen. And I, I'll, I'll finish up on Aaron. I'm going to be uh, no no worship here, but I'm going to slap you on the back with that comment because that's great. That's exactly what we need. And unfortunately, universities are working in the opposite direction. They want us as academics spending less time in schools. Uh, they want us pumping up papers at teaching them to read. 
uh, and getting money for stuff that doesn't really matter. So I, my, my final closing statement would be, I would rather be spending all my time working with teachers, not just getting my teachers out there in the placements, but I want my su the supervising teachers to do research with me to answer their questions, to solve the problems that they're dealing with in their schools, in their context. And let's collect some evidence to make, help them make better decisions in their own practice. And I think that is the way forward for uh, physical education preparation. I think it's the way forward for all teacher preparation. Um, and I can't really think of anything else that I want to add to that. But I want to, I want to, I'm wary of time. We're, we've sort of come to the end of the show. I want to thank uh, in, in absentia Andy Vassily for contributing absolutely nothing to this conversation. As per usual. Uh, uh, Nathan That's what happens. That's what happens when you're unemployed. You've got nothing worthwhile to say because you don't do anything or do <laughs> This is detriment. Uh, Nathan Hall for hopping off the yellow brick road to participate in this conversation. Uh, Joey Fife in Montreal for contributing to the obesity epidemic with producing 85% of the maple syrup in the world. And Aaron Beatley just for being a constant thorn in my side. So thanks again, gentlemen. I appreciate your time and I uh, look forward to episode three. Take care. It's amazing what you See them.